long and prosperous. I'm going to Toshi Station to pick up some power converters. Lilu Dallas Multipass. Shut up and take my money. By Grabthar's hammer. What a saving. One does not simply walk into Mordor. X never, ever marks the spot. Winter is coming. You're a wizard, Harry. Stay a while and listen. Hey, old Kermit. Frog. Your ties are cool. So say we all. This is a play on nerds. Yeah. Feel it. Hey, everybody. Ladies ladies and gentlemen, welcome to a very special episode 97 of A Play on Nerds. As always, I'm one of your co-hosts, Steve. And I'm Jarman. The other co-host, and we are both here to co-host the hell out of this. Hell yes. And what a special episode it is. Like every episode. It is. It is. But this time it's special because we are getting back to our uh, back and forth reviews of Muppet feature films. And Star, Star Trek, Trek feature films. films. And this time we were back on Star Trek. And not only are we back on Star Trek, we are back on my favorite Star Trek film. Star Trek First Contact. First Contact. I'm so excited to dig into it later. <laughs> but before that. Oh, in case you're just ha- just joining us for the first time ever for some reason. Right. Uh, we've been doing this because Star Trek is my favorite franchise nerdy that's thing. Right. And the Muppets, Muppets are mine. Steve. So we wanted to see both all those films and all those franchises and review them. And it's, it's been a long time now. So we've been going back and forth, but yeah, we've been, we're, we're deep now. Yeah, we're in it real deep in it. Uh, but more of that later in the meantime. Uh, okay. Question for you though. Sure. So in the intro, I remember uh, I said, what's right. that thing? Okay, so right before, so say we all like right before the last, before we talk, it sounds like your ties are called. What the hell is that? <laughs> so we'll get to this later as well in the thank you section. But another listener was wondering what the hell it was. Uh, <laughs> yeah. He went back and forth listening to what the hell is that? And it's bow ties are cool. It's from Matt Smith's doctor from the Doctor Who. <laughs> so he says it's like a catchphrase of his. He said bow ties are cool several times. But he also says fezes are cool because he likes to wear fezes. So it was a nod to Doctor Who. Bow ties are cool. Bow, I'm, bow ties are cool. That's how he says it. I'm so excited to re-listen to that now and actually know what it is. <laughs> what do you think it was? Something about pool? <laughs> Your ties are called. <laughs> Your ties are called. <laughs> it's just out of context and it's in a British accent, so I can see how well, that would be. followed immediately by Edward James Solomon. <laughs> so, so say we all. So say we all. Very different voices, those two. That's true. Oh, and if you okay, guys have well, skipped that episode, that by the helps. way, we're now recording this show live, so it doesn't require much right. editing afterwards. So if you hear mistakes, hums, haws, or dogs barking, or babies crying, that's because this is live recorded, man. It's Wild West that's out here. Right. Uh, well, great. So, German, what have you uh, been up to since last we spoke? <laughs> when I was preparing for the show, I was like, update of the week. What have I been up to? Uh, Nothing. <laughs> so I've been at home a lot, uh, working a lot, and uh, going back to the gym. And that's pretty much it. Been pretty boring. Yeah, uh, that's fair. But I do have, I'm going to a bachelor party this weekend in St. Oh, Augustine, fun. Florida, which Stephen will know, I'm sure. Yeah, I've been there a few times. Uh, here in Florida, if you're from Central Florida, you basically go there as a kid a lot as a field trip. They have a big fort there in St. Augustine. Yeah, a lot of that Florida history occurs. Yeah. It's like one of the oldest cities in Florida. Um, yeah. And as a kid, I hate it. It was so boring. But now going as an adult, it's really 
There's lots of cute and charming restaurants and bars and pubs and museums and shops and antique stores. So it's definitely not for kids. I was so bored as a kid, but now it's now it's fun. So my friend's having his uh, a bachelor party weekend there. So it's kind of relaxing, taking it easy. So it's gonna be fun. Well, good. What about you? Have you done something better than I I have? (laughs) No, literally before the show, I looked over at Anna. I said, "Okay, so I'm going to talk about the two things that I did. Did I miss anything? And Anna said, no, we've been boring. So literally the exact same thing. (laughs) <laughs> uh, so we went and we spent a weekend at grandma's. Yep. Uh, we used a gift certificate I got for my birthday and went to Outback Steakhouse. That's so exciting. <laughs> and ate a lot of steak and a blooming onion. All 2000 calories. We did. I was proud of myself for the first time ever. I didn't eat any of that bread. Oh yeah. It's just filler, man. It's just filler. There's so much better stuff there. Yeah, just wait. Wait for the salad. Wait for the lumen onion. They Have patience. You with the bread. Would you want 10 cents now or a dollar later, man? That's right. <laughs> <laughs> I think the problem is um, that we used to go a month between episodes. We had a lot going on, but now it's like true. a week between episodes. We'll have less to report, yeah. which is fine. At that, point, at that point, it was like a highlight reel. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> <laughs> um, but then otherwise, we went up to grandma's because uh, we went to my nephew Jude's second birthday party which was moana themed nice and at a splash park up north Hmm. uh and went took joyce and she got wet and ran around and went insane had a good old time good old time it was adorable uh my sister-in-law tina like could could probably like do kids birthday parties if she really wanted to she organized the whole thing Organize it, but like does special decorations, stupid, creative, like things you wouldn't have thought about, uh, like to make party favors. It's just, it's just genius kind of stuff. Nice. Um, but yeah, so and, fun and for simple and on a budget. So Lots yeah, fun for the kids too. Um, but yeah, that's it. That's all we did. Nice. And we're back here recording just for you that's folks, right. the fans out there. Well, well, now I guess the happenings are nerdy news. What? It's time for nerdy news. It's so good. That song just gets you going, you know? It just does. Mm. <laughs> right out of the 80s or 70s even. So what kind uh, of nerdy news you got for us today? So this week, my kitschy name for my kitschy story is the dingo ate my ecosystem. Nice. Uh, and uh, they've scientists are taking a look at this giant dingo fence in Australia that is 5,000 kilometers long huh. and basically cuts Australia in half, effectively. To keep dingoes on one out? Side, yeah, on one side they allow dingoes, and on the other side they kill them all. Oh, geez. And so this used to be, you know, right along this fence used to be a shared ecosystem. But since the fence went up, they've noticed drastic changes on, on the side of the fence that no longer has dingoes. And so scientists started looking at, well, what happened with the dingoes leaving that changed visually what it was? So uh, when the dingoes are present, it's just kind of a sandy, hilly area with just very sparse vegetation spread evenly, but sparse. But on the side where there's no dingoes, huge sand dunes and these dense little patches of vegetation. So dingo just so makes shit worse, basically. <laughs> no, no, no. So what happened is the dingoes, by removing them, the secondary level predators. 
like cats and foxes took over, killed all the rodents who would normally eat the seeds of this grass. And so the plants went crazy in these little patches, which caused the wind to go around them in a different way and create giant sand dunes instead of the evenly spread out sand they have on the other side. Just that one rung of the ladder taken out and everything changes. Everything changes. It's absolutely crazy. That's awesome. Yeah. It's just nuts to see how we've changed nature. By making a giant ass dingo fence. (laughs) A huge 5,000 kilometers. That's insane. (laughs) We're going to build a wall and make the dingoes pay for it. What about you? What do you bring us to the world of nerdy news? Well, uh, we trade places this time. You did the more nature thing. I did the more uh, pop culture thing. So uh, it's been announced the last day or so that uh, CW has a huge, you know, uh, roster of superhero shows these days. Uh, I got Flash, Arrow, uh, Black Lightning, uh, Supergirl. Am I forgetting anybody? Oh, the Legends of Tomorrow. So now they're adding Batwoman to that lineup. Which is okay. complicated and confusing, I think, because they haven't really talked about Batman directly yet. They've mentioned him a couple of times in the show, like little hints here and there, like the Dark Knight, or they'll say something about there's already an uh, uh, Overwatch person for someone named Overwatch. Uh, but anyways, <laughs> they are going to start with the character of Kate Kane, which is from the comics. She's, uh, let me see here, I'm looking at my notes. This is usually cut out out of the live broadcasts. So she's a wealthy she's a wealthy heiress who is inspired by Batman and wants to rid the streets of Gotham of crime. That's in the okay. comic books. But the best part of this story that I love is that this will piss off every right wing supporter, every Trump supporter out there, the way that they de- they describe it. So in Batwoman, written by Dries, based on the DC characters, armed with a passion for social justice and a flair for speaking her mind, Kate Kane soars onto the streets of Gotham as Batwoman an out lesbian and highly trained street fighter primed to snuff out the failing city's <laughs> criminal resurgence. <laughs> so she has a, a passion for social justice and she's an out lesbian. I love it. <laughs> it's going to piss and them like off a, so hard. And a trained fighter. Right. right? <laughs> but I think that's great though. Cause like any like, you know, hardcore nut job, right wing person who's watching all these other shows. will see this one and be like, I ain't watching none of them anymore. We'll be like, good for you. Get out of here. Yeah. But we uh, don't need you. <laughs> But she might be in the, as soon as the crossover at the end of this year, she might appear in the, the big crossover they do. And then her show will start in 2019. Um, but yeah, it's pretty exciting. She has bright red hair. She's a really cool looking. There's a lot of cosplay out there from the characters. So it's exciting. Wow. Well, cool. Yeah. And they still have all those CSI and Law and Order shows they can watch. So they can just watch those and not mess around with our superhero shows anymore. That's right. All writers. <laughs> So I think that takes us over to a five-minute aficionado, believe it or not. Bringing it back. We have some music for that from a long time ago. It was so classic. It's been a a long time since you've heard that sound cue. Yeah, it is. (laughs) Ah, yeah. Ooh, I like how the beat picked up. (laughs) So because we're doing Star Trek First Contact, uh, this five-minute aficionado is about the Borg. We're going to make you an expert on the Borg in record time. And how we do that is by just, you know, going through their whole history. A little yeah, bit. let's go through it. So let me get my, I'm running out of air and uh, saliva. <laughs> this is <laughs> great for the live listeners. All right. So the Borg from Star Trek, those of you who don't know, were a pseudo species of cybernetic beings or cyborgs. Whoa. Was that a plane flying over? 
Oh my god, we have some loud ass choppers starting. <laughs> Live broadcast, everybody. So it's a group of cybernetic beings or cyborgs from the Delta Quadrant. Now, the whole most of the entire show of Star Trek happens in the Alpha Quadrant. That's where Earth is, and the most of the Federation. Uh, Voyager gets stuck out in the Delta Quadrant, which they encounter the Borg later on, but we'll talk about that later. Um, the ultimate goal of the Borg is to attain perfection. Is there like a beta and a kappa? There like, is, but they don't really go into those. Quadrant? Yeah, like there's some okay. species that claim to come from there, but most of the show is all in the Alpha Quadrant. All right, that's weird. Yeah, they kind of keep it located in one area because they don't want to get too far flung, I guess. But, uh, yeah. <laughs> just too much the entire universe. Mm, so uh, their whole purpose is to achieve perfection through forcibly assimilating lots of diverse creatures, species, sentient species, and technology. Like, like taking all the best stuff, right? Yeah, they're kind of mixing everything together, both technology <clears throat> and species-wise, to make like an ideal perfect race. Um, but the okay. idea is they're a hive mind. So once you're assimilated, you lose all individual thought because you're driven almost insane by the hive mind constantly speaking to you until you give into it. And then you're basically just all controlled by one hive. They all have the right. same thoughts at the same time. Um, with some some exceptions being Lacutus of Borg and the Borg Queen, who are right. purposely made to be kind of a unified singular face of the Borg that can communicate more easily with species that are not Borg. That's kind of their point. Um, but their surgical implants are either attached to their body or grown internally through nanoprobes injected into your bloodstream, which is something you find out later in Voyager. Uh, they have a personal force field attached to each drone and that can has um, alternating you know, f- currents that basically, after they've been shot by a beam a few times, they can change the current so that way they just, they're still protected from those beams. Uh, mm-hmm. So the precise origins of the Borg officially canonically are unclear and have not been stated. So see, I thought they were in a book or something. Well, that's the thing. Books are never in, unlike star Wars universe where the longest time the books are considered Canon star Trek. The books are not considered official Canon. Right. But there are several origins that they put forth uh, that were possible for the Borg in comic books and in other books. Uh, but the closest we have to a real one, which I really love was by Gene Roddenberry himself. Ooh, okay, um, I trust it then. Yeah, in an interview shortly after Q Who, an episode um, where the Borg came around. That is um, a good one. He said that the machine planet seen by Spock in the original motion picture, he sees it in like a vision when he's uh, touching V'ger. Okay. Um, might have been the Borg homeworld. That's all he says it might have been. Um, huh. But that's my favorite Borg origin story, and he's supporting it almost by Gene Roddenberry by saying that this machine planet is kind of what made V'ger as well. Voyager got all the way out to the machine planet and it kind of changed Voyager into V'ger as we knew it in the original picture. So right, I really like that. Hmm. But there's a comic book where it's like uh, they have people from the Federation a long time ago flying out and um, messing around with genetics and, and they go back in time and all this other random stuff, but nothing official has been said as to where the hell they actually started. Um, huh. Yeah. Interesting. So uh, that's, un- that's disappointing. It is disappointing. I want them to officially do something with it. Maybe even they, discovery or something. Dude, how crazy would that be if they bring the Borg back into the new JJ films? Well, they kind of did actually, which is kind of neat. Ooh. In the 2009 film, um, uh, the ship that the bad guy is on, I'm not forgetting his name. Uh, balls. Nero. He's the, yeah, ba- Nero. he's the main villain of the 2009 film. He's on a ship called the Narada. And apparently in this, the 
comic book series that accompanies the film and which is supposed to be canon, actually. Um, the, the Narada was a mixture of Romulan and Borg technology. So that crazy ass ship that he's in, that's really powerful and destroys everything. It's a mixture of Romulan and Borg technology. So that's pretty so like cool. the Romulans were able to take a Borg ship at some point. Yeah. And study some it point, or something. Yeah. And kind of mix their technology. Wow. In there. So that's kind of neat. Yeah, that's pretty crazy. So All right. as of 1484, apparently there's some mention of that year. Uh, there reportedly is controlling only a handful of systems in the Delta Quadrant. But by 2373, they had assimilated thousands of worlds. And that's right around when they, 20 years later, they attack Guinan's homeworld. Um, right. That's a little, actually, different timeline. But, anyways, so Guinan gets attacked, um, saved by the Federation in the last movie, Star Trek Generations. Right. And that's 230 years after the events of First Contact. Um, but during, right. Yeah. Okay. It's, it's very confusing. <laughs> <laughs> Uh, but all this time, though, the Federation kind of doesn't know who the Borg are, but they do, but they don't. They never officially claim that they know what the Borg are until they encounter them in Next Generation. So, right. Right. Uh, so, 70 years after they destroy Guinan's homeworld, um, that's when Q on the Next Generation TV show takes Picard and the Enterprise to meet the Borg in the Delta Quadrant. Kind of like as a, a punishment for their brashness, thinking that they have all this control over the galaxy and they have no idea oh, what I they're love, dealing with. I love that episode. It's so good. It was them like how unprepared they really are. Yeah, they thought that they're hubris. They thought they were prepared for whatever the universe had to give them. And he's like, let me show you something else. Takes them out there. <laughs> I love it. So now the Borg were aware of the Federation at that point, which is terrible. Um, so a year after that, the Borg capture Picard and assimilate him and use him as a strategic source to battle the Federation and assimilate them. Uh, this is where 40 Starfleet ships assemble and all but one of them are destroyed. That's yeah. the Battle of Wolf 359. And what's the cool thing is uh, Captain Sisko from Deep Space Nine, his wife was killed in that battle. So that's kind ah. of the pilot episode of Deep Space Nine shows him at that battle um, and his wife dying. And he, so he really doesn't like Captain Picard because he thinks he helped start that or make that battle happen. Wow. Not Crazy. Neat. Little connections. Um, but they get Picard back and use his connection to the hive to shut down the entire hive and destroy the cube ship. Um, so they won that battle, basically. But now Captain Picard forever has PTSD from being a Borg, um, which we'll be talking about in this movie. Mm -hmm. uh, and after many run-ins with the Borg during Star Trek Voyager with Captain Janeway, mm -hmm. uh, a future version of Captain Janeway comes back in time to the Delta Quadrant and puts an infection into the Borg hive, which kills their queen and a big part of their giant network. So they have a huge blow to them. They're basically knocked off the map after that point. Um, so yeah, that's spoilers for Voyager. So wait, a time traveling future Janeway, yeah, comes back and poisons the Borg, right? Because she's in the future where they're being basically destroyed by the Borg. So she finds a way to go back in time, um, and stop them before they could get that powerful and make a big blow uh, to the whole okay. system. So that's pretty neat. Um, other little random facts because that pretty much is the entire timeline officially canonically of. Of the Borg. I know they show up in a like an Enterprise episode or something where yes. they get found on Earth and thawed out. So basically, the beginning of this first contact movie, uh, once the Borg shoot the, or the, once their their um not the cube but the uh, the sphere is destroyed back in time, uh -huh. um, it gets blown up, but a part of it falls to Earth. And in the Enterprise episode, it's like a hundred years later when Enterprise is taking place, and they find right. that piece of it with a Borg inside, and they accidentally reactivate 
one of the Borg drones is in there. Um, so that's one of the episodes. So that's basically like in between the back in time first contact and and original series that time period. <laughs> it's really confusing. Wow. But it's a good episode. That is though. confusing. Holy crap. And of course, Seven of Nine is a Borg that's on a main character eventually on Voyager because they're able to right. separate her from the hive, but not completely remove all of her implants. So she's trying to learn and how to be human again. They helped like an ex-Borg community at one point. In, it's weird. It's in Voyager, yeah. <laughs> and there's, there's one episode of, kind of Next Generation where they have a Borg named Hugh. They call him Hugh because he gets separated from the hive. He's starting to become more human but he's almost misses the hive mind in his brain. And also they are, they can use him to put a, a virus in him that would kill all the Borg, but they don't, they have a moral dilemma of uh, causing genocide basically. So they just send him back to the Borg collective um, in the end. So that was one of the TNG episodes. Man, why wouldn't they just do it? They, they should have Starfleet. They should have friggin Starfleet. <laughs> we have a moral code. Shut up. Kill the Borg. <laughs> And a little behind the scenes things, uh, they originally conceived of as insectoids, but they were changed before they appeared to be the way they are now for budgetary reasons, because insectoids would have been either look terrible or be really expensive. So, yeah, that's where that went. Well, good. I think that's what you need to know about the Borg before we hop into first contact. That's right. And I should have <clears throat> something prepared for that, which I do, but it takes a long time to find. I'm excited for whatever it is. Anticipation is building. Oh, that's delicious. It was delicious. So, uh, what are we talking so this about? Is, this is my favorite of all the Star Treks. It is. First Contact, huh? Do you see yeah, it in theaters? I, 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 uh, I think I did. I honestly don't know. I don't know either. I don't remember if I did or not. Um, but I absolutely love it. It was, it felt big. Uh, the Borg were such a big enemy for once for Star Trek, which was sort of rare in Star Trek films. A lot of Star Trek films have indirect villains or forgettable villains, kind of forgettable villains, but the Borg were this driving destructive force with no end. And it was clear, um, which was just different. And that's what I loved. It made the stakes so much higher than most of the other movies, in my opinion. I agree. And I think, the complaint some people have was that they should have made this Borg queen because they didn't think it made sense. But I think it did make it that much more memorable having a face to put to it and someone to act against, you know, because otherwise it's just, you know, nameless drones and kind of zombies, you know? Yeah. I think that that was a, like a executive producer studio move, if I remember correctly. Yeah. They're like, you got to give her, a, you got to give the Borg a face or else it, you can't, apparently do, it was you be can't a do scenes. Yeah, it wasn't like a computer voice for a while. And they're like, there's just, it's just not interesting. <laughs> there's no one for to act against. Please do better. I like that they did that. Plus, she's sexy. Um, so, yeah. So, <laughs> let's talk through the movie. Sure. Um, I have to say that opening credit sequence was really cheap and boring. <laughs> it was like everything just is pushed through and like out of focus. And then it was like it was a weird. high yeah, school, right. high school, like after effects. Basically, <laughs> that's what it's not yeah. like to me. Uh, but directed by Jonathan Frakes, good old Riker. Yeah, not the first choice, uh, no. but uh, they got turned down by Ridley Scott and the guy who did Predator. McTiernan. Yeah, McTiernan. And they 
they said they did. They interviewed like two or three other people and freaks. They, they were afraid the two other guys just didn't understand Star Trek, which is true. And they had so and many so, great uh, nods to Star Trek throughout all this. So it's great. And so they gave freaks his big chance. And most of the most of the cast maintains that it was their favorite movie to film. Yep. And he went on and got to do another one, Insurrection. Which I think is a fine movie, but we'll talk about that next time. We'll talk about that later. <laughs> uh, uh, so yeah, cheap opening credit sequence. Uh, it starts with sort of like a cheap, quick review of what happened to Picard with the Borg. Right, for those people who hadn't seen the show, it just makes sense, him having flashback dreams of being assimilated. And then he wakes up in a panic and goes and splashes water in his face, but then he's also in a dream and a thing pops out of his face. And, <laughs> Star and Trek Inception. Star Trek Inception. Um, and he wakes up and he gets a message almost Im- nearly immediately. That's like, hey, the Borg are making their move on the Federation. And we're not going to send you out there. We're sending you out to the Romulan neutral zone to make sure they don't take advantage of this. To make weakness, sure the Romulans don't make a move. Which is bullshit. <laughs> they just don't trust Captain Picard to be around the Borg. Even though right. they're in the flagship, the most powerful ship in the Federation. The Enterprise yeah, newest, e. most advanced. Right. Nope, won't do it. Um, so they go to the neutral zone, and Picard overhears the battle as it takes place, and they're and Starfleet's just getting slaughtered. Oh yeah, just getting slaughtered, and so he he does a very Kirk thing. It is, and says, "Hey, just so you know, I'm about to directly disobey Starfleet orders. If anyone has anything to say, say it now." And I'm pretty sure that happened in Star Trek uh, 4. Something like that. The same exact thing. I feel like that happened in a lot of Star well, Trek movies. And one of the ones we watched just recently, though, where he's like about to leave and they're all wearing their crazy weird 70s jumpsuits and stuff. And he's like, it might, it, I'm going to go commit be search to, for Spock because right. he has to steal the ship for that. That's he's like, I'm going to go commit treason. You don't have to come with me. They're like, of course we're coming with you. Right. Uh, um, but this has one of the great moments of he's Picard saying, uh, this is uh, against Starfleet orders. If you want to go leave now, that's fine. Um, it's against orders. And Data says, I think I speak on behalf of the crew when I say, to hell with the orders. And I love that line. It was great. Yeah, everyone. Yeah, Data. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> uh, so they go. They get there. The star, forty. The, the ships are just in tatters. Yeah. Right. Just destroyed. A few left. Uh, they reveal that Worf is on one of them. It's the Defiant. The def- which is a ship he, with, he flies on D Space Nine, the TV show. That's why he was on that ship. Along with Adam Scott from Parks and Rec, who's at the the front console. What? Yep. He that young. A baby. He was. He was. He's like nineteen or twenty, maybe. Look at him. It's Adam Scott. I'll have though. to go back and see that. That's crazy. <clears throat> yeah, it's crazy. We uh, Anna heard the voice, and we both like went, "What? Hold on." Oh, he has a line too. Oh yeah, he's the one relaying all the information to Worf. That's awesome. Let's go back at the console. <laughs> yeah, rewatch it. Um, so the the Enterprise gets there, beams them out of the Defiant right before it is destroyed. Worf is on the Enterprise, and that is conveniently taken care of. Exactly, and they say the Defiant is not destroyed, <laughs> but just badly damaged, and that way yeah. they can return it to the TV show that it belongs to. <laughs> Yeah. Uh, in fact, originally in the this opening sequence, they were going to destroy like one or two of the ships from Deep Space Nine or maybe Voyager. And the producers from that sh- show tossed a fit. <laughs> like, that won't make any sense. What are we going to do with that? 
Well, not to build all new sets. Right. You can't just destroy two of the things we need. (laughs) Also, in that battle is the Millennium Falcon. Very quickly. It's right there. Yeah, because the ILM is uh, Industrial Light and Magic did that sequence in the CGI with models mixed together. But they quickly yeah. put a very fast Millennium Falcon flying by in one of the scenes. That you can look up online. It's hilarious. And I think this is actually the last one they did. Last Star Trek they did? Yeah. The last Star Trek they did. To a point, they may have come back for the more recent ones. Yeah, I think they did the, the 2009 because R2-D2 is in a battle in the 2009 movie. He flies by Ooh. in a battle. <laughs> it's really funny. <clears throat> um, so... They get there. He has all the remaining ships shoot at this one piece of the one part of the board cube. And the board cube starts to destruct and everyone's like, yeah, we won. And the board cube spits out the Borg sphere, <laughs> a, which makes a go for Earth. Borg kidney stone. So they, they follow the Borg sphere and then it starts to open like a temporal rift or something. Yeah. And, and as they, they go through, they in. can see through the rift, uh, the current day earth suddenly change into a Borgified earth. Everything is just covered in Borg technology. And they realize they're seeing earth now because of the actions that cube is, or that, that a sphere is going to take when it gets back in time. So they say, so they have we to follow, follow it. it. We got to follow it. And they're protected because of the temporal wake they're caught in. And of they course. take care of that loophole as well. <laughs> exactly. Uh, so they follow the Borg Sphere. They get there. The Borg Sphere is bombing uh, this part of North America, like in the middle of middle of nowhere, North America. Montana. Uh, they blow up the Borg Sphere. They think they're finally done with the Borg, and then they try to figure out where they are uh, and what the Borg were trying to accomplish. And they figure out that they were firing at a particular place in time where uh, a particular guy, Cochran, named Zephyrin Cochran, Zephyrin Cochran, who created warp technology, who makes first contact happen in the first place with other species. Uh, they're trying to blow him up. So they have to go down to investigate, to see if he's okay. Make sure he's okay. Make sure the ship that he's going to use is okay. The Phoenix. Yeah. Otherwise everything's changed. Uh, they go down, they find the Phoenix. It's, it's okay. They meet a woman who tries to shoot data uh, and then collapses Lily. due to radiation sickness. Lily. Uh, they beam her up to the ship for treatment while they stay down and keep looking for Zephyrin Cochran. Right. Uh, back on the ship, someone senses there was some sort of like particle surge or something from the Borg ship. Well, it starts off that, uh, LeVar Burton, um, why am I named going out of the head, my head, um, Jordy, Jordy LaForge. Right. Jordy LaForge. Before he leaves, go the away mission. He tells engineers, he's like, it's getting really hot in here. Check that out. Make sure the environmental controls are okay. And they figure out through that line of thinking, they eventually figure out that, uh, oh, it's the Borg who are adapting the ship and taking it over from the inside. Right. And making it more comfortable for themselves. Right. Ooh, it's warm in here. It's toasty. Ooh. Um, <clears throat> so, uh, yeah, so he tells them to investigate. The, there's people down in engineering. They're going to go take a look at it, and they get into the, what are the tubes called? Jeffrey's tubes. Jeffrey's tubes. Uh, and they see a shadow and goes, and then, oh, God. You get they, they get borged. There's borgs on the ship. Or ghosts. Ghost <laughs> ghost borgs on the ship. I, one of the podcasts um, I listen to on it's called Dork Trek. They call them Jefferson's tubes. <laughs> but anyways. Um <clears throat> so the ship's infected. Uh Picard b- goes back up, gets beamed back up to see what's happening, I think. 
after um, he leaves Riker in charge down on the planet. Right. Uh, him and Data go back up, uh, and God, I don't remember what happens then. Uh, well, before they go back up, they have one of my favorite moments. Uh, right. Picard and Data are touching the um, the Phoenix, the fabled ship that will eventually be in museums. <laughs> and he's like, why are you touching the ship, Captain? He's like, human beings like touching things to feel closer to them. They make them feel more real. And he's like touching it and just giving off stats. And Troy's watching all this from afar. And she's like, would the three of you like to be alone? I <laughs> just love that scene. It was so great. It was just touching good character moments that throughout this whole movie. Um, but yeah, then Picard and Riker do kind of switch places kind of awkwardly because originally you might read this in the trivia as well. Yeah. Riker was uh, going to be on the ship fighting the Borg and Picard was going to stay down on the planet uh, the whole movie. But they switched that because well, apparently Patrick Stewart didn't like that. <laughs> so, um, well, I think that he pointed out for a movie about about Picard confronting the Borg, he's not really going to be able to confront the Borg. That's very true. I think it worked out well, and, and then th- he got a chance I to be more of an action right hero too, which was kind of cool seeing Buff Picard. Right. Well, I think that also it would it, it helped the plot because whatever Picard was was going to want to be the center of the film, and if they put him down on the planet then the Borg would have become like a secondary thing. And not as much of a threat. Yeah. Right. Because he was on the planet. That makes sense. So they made the right call. They made the right call. Absolutely. Uh, So what happens then? Dear Lord. So uh, now that data and Picard are back on the ship, um, they're basically the Borg are starting to encroach more and more territory on the ship. And they have to wake up the woman from the current time period, Lily played by Alfrey Woodward. Um, who's been in uh, who's in Luke Cage now. Uh, but anyways, they wake her up so she can escape with them through the Jeffries tubes, and they have an appearance by Voyager's doctor at that point. Yeah. The oh, hologram doctor. doctor. <laughs> She's like, stop these Borg for a while, distract them. He's like, I'm a doctor, not a doorstop. Uh, but then they chase them away, and then that's when eventually Data gets captured and pulled to the Borg Queen, who's fascinated with him, who happens to be in the ship. And because he's like a perfect android technology who's trying to be human. So that's when she captures him and starts to transform him by giving him human, human parts. skin. Yeah. Which is weird. And the data plot always was like the the weirdest part of this film for me. It is odd and really creepy <laughs> times. Um, so data is captured. Picard and them find out that the Borg took a bunch of decks, but then they stopped at this one specific deck. I said, what's on that deck? And they realize that they're going to use this reflector dish or something to send a signal to the, the current Borg in the Delta Quadrant to send reinforcements. Right. Uh, so now they have to, it's Picard, Worf, and Hawk, uh, a red shirt, who... <laughs> and that actor, he's on Legends of Tomorrow now playing uh, the main villain. He's pretty oh, great. You, you recognize him in, from tons of stuff. Oh, yeah. He's, he's got those all over blazing eyes that he has. Um, so they go and they've got to go and walk across the hall in suits and go stop the Borg outside the ship. Right. So they go, they, the, the plan is to unlock these three coupling things that are going to release the plate that all the Borg are working on into space and then they can blow it up or whatever. Um, so they go to start, do this. The Borg start to notice them. The Borg are continuing their work. The Borg notice them a little bit more. And then suddenly the Borg know that they've got to stop them. So they go after, I think, Worf first. But he fights. Uh, well, it's, it's back and forth a little bit. Uh, uh, they do a good job building the tension and switching back and forth and keeping the story moving 
I thought this is the only scene well. I actually wrote down my notes that they could have done this a little faster. I thought it dragged a little bit. That's true. There's a lot of them playing with those screens. <laughs> boop, 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 boop. I'm like, okay, I get it. Could move on. Well, true. well, it was a little repetitive because they showed like one of them doing it and then saying access denied and then having to move those cards, but they showed every single one of them do that same thing. I know. It was like a little necessary. Yeah. <clears throat> um, they wanted to show off the set they paid for. Yeah. Uh, so they, so the Borg attack Worf, he gets it, his suit is cut and he's, is losing oxygen. Hawk gets carried off to some terrible demise. Uh, <laughs> yeah. Picard unlocks one maglock, jumps, releases his gravity boots, flies to the air, unlocks the other maglock. The thing starts to float away. Hawk comes to stop Picard from shooting it. Oh no, he's a Borg now. A nice little slow head turn, Borg. Well, I want to know how he got so Borgified so fast. It doesn't usually go that fast, right? It was incredible. Uh, so Hawks of Borg, Picard, what shoots him? I don't remember. Uh, I think Worf saves the day. Oh, Worf saves the day. You're right. Right. Uh, and then Worf, they detach the thing before they can send the signal. They blow it up. Yay! They're heroes, and they stop the Borg again. Right. Uh, the Borg inside have to become more aggressive because they have to change their plan, I guess. Because she can sense as soon as that happens, she's back with data and they cut back and she can sense that, that just happened. They blew them up. She's like, oh, crap, we got to change our plans. Yeah. Um, so they take more and more of the ship. Meanwhile, down on Earth, they find Zephyr and Cochran. And he's a drunk he, dancing mess. And he gets Counselor Troy drunk. Which is very amusing. Real good. <laughs> uh, <clears throat> and... The whole thing is is this kind of lighthearted and deeper moments of him realizing the man he's supposed to become and coming to terms with that and learning that he's going to have a statue made after him and um, him struggling and them getting the ship back together. And it's a nice back and forth. It's a nice B plot. Yeah. And they keep going back to the ship, back to this. So we kind of went through a lot of the Borg stuff, but during that whole Borg sequence, we talked about, they were going back to earth and back to the ship. And um, yeah, there's a lot back and forth, which is good. It keeps you interested. Um, I love the scenes between Cochran and Riker and <coughs> he goes off to pee and they chase after him. because he's trying to run away and uh, scene with Reginald <laughs> Barclay from TNG. Who's a great character being so nervous around Cochran. Um, it was yeah, just that was real good. really good uh, writing and everything. Uh, and then back on the ship in, in the middle of this whole board plot, there's another plot of the Picard Lily where Lily in the Jeffrey's tube runs into Picard. They end up teaming up. <clears throat> she comes to terms with the fact that she's on a spaceship. And he tells her about the Borg uh, and she's and like, Borg, that sounds Swedish. <laughs> so that was sounds Swedish. <laughs> it does. Uh, and so uh, it's all about them getting to where they need to go, getting past the Borg. They go, they do a nice holodeck sequence. Right, because he finds loads. He realizes if he can shoot real bullets at the Borg, they can't get that'll go right through their um, their phasing armor stuff. Right. Uh, so yeah, he he loads some program where they're in a swank, you know, club, and there's a a gangster, and he pulls a Tommy gun and shoots him, and then tries to beat a dead body. That's when uh, Lily realizes that he's got some anger issues. That's right. Uh, and slowly figures out about his story of Wolf 359 and how he was assimilated. And um, she realizes yeah. he's after his white whale, his Moby Dick, and that he needs to take it easy. <laughs> because he's ordering all his people to go back in there and fight them to the very end. And basically it's suicide. 
And everyone else is advising him to just leave the ship and blow it up because then they'll kill all the rest of the Borg. And he refuses. Right. I can't. I can't leave them. Um, so she convinces him because she's awesome. They push us this far. No further. The light must be drawn here. <laughs> I love that line so much. This far. No, no further. further. <laughs> uh, Jonathan Frake says that that is that the that he considers that one of the finest scenes he's ever gotten to direct. Oh, that's great. I can only imagine anything with Patrick Stewart. Oh yeah. Oh, and back on land, we forgot that uh, when they explained to uh, Cochran to convince him to do the, all this and be the man he needs to be, um, he's like, "Wait, so you're telling me you're on some kind of Star Trek?" <laughs> yeah, you're on some sort of Star Trek. That's the only time Star Trek has ever said in the entire Star Trek franchise on screen. I thought it was it was it was good. It was light. Yeah, it worked out fine. Um. So what else then? Oh, we did miss the, the line from Worf when he shoots the last uh, um, Borg. He's like, assimilate this. And he shoots assimilate this. <laughs> it's such a silly like 90s action movie line. Um, so Picard finally comes to his senses, says that they should evacuate the ship. Right. Uh, he goes and is basically about to surrender himself to the, the Borg queen. Yeah, once everyone's leaving the ship, yeah, he wants to say, I'll leave Data alone, take me instead, I'll be your Locutus again, I volunteer this time. Um, She's like, sure, but Data's already joined my side, and Data's got some hair, and he's got some skin. Yeah, it's creepy. He's all into her now. Uh, And he, the Phoenix launches and uh, has a successful launch, and they're about to go into warp drive, and then... uh, they don't know that the Borg have the ship at that point, I don't think. Nope. Right? No, they don't. <clears throat> so they think they're there to give him a send-off. She tells Data to shoot down the Phoenix, ruining man's chance. Oh, and the Federation from ever being being made. Uh, and uh, he fires and misses. And that's when she realizes Data really isn't on her side. And then he vents the plasma that they had talked about briefly in a, a staff meeting earlier that will kill all biological yes. matter that touches. So... Picard and athleticism jumps up in his tank top, looking all sexy, you know, diehard style. And all the data is basically all his new skin has been removed from his body, probably pretty painfully. Uh, and she's trying to escape, but she jumps up and grabs Picard's leg. And then data's pulling on her leg and she's screaming. And Picard's guns are just boiled and bulging <laughs> as he pulls himself up. I don't know this got so homoerotic. Yeah, he trained as a boxer. I think I had heard that like as a in his yeah, 20s right. or something. That's right. Um, so ultimately data pulls down the board queen, her, all her flesh stuff melts. And then she's just a skull and a spinal cord. Right. Which Picard breaks in theory, ending the Borg forever. But no, but no, See, that's what I get confused about. Well, basically uh, there's theories as to why suddenly after this in the timeline, the board queen shows up on star Trek Voyager. Um, and the reason they've given for this is a few things. Either they have several clones of the Borg Queen. It's just a it's just a copy of a copy. There's lots of them in like one in different segments or um, quadrants. Uh, the other thing is that maybe her consciousness went from there and immediately goes somewhere else if she the body dies, which also would make sense. But they don't actually explain right. it. She just shows up as the Borg Queen in Voyager again. One thing I like to that always interested me is that when you see all the Borgs at the end, there's like nothing left. What do you like mean? They're, they're pretty much melted. Uh, so, like, 
with uh, like the, the Borgs that get hit by the plasma. It's oh, you yeah. can see their implants and stuff, but like most of them is gone. But with the Borg Queen, she still has this metal skull, right? Which means that like that was her origin. Was that she was? She started off a machine robot. and then was it's, added flesh. Right. Uh, yeah. Right. She has added flesh, unlike the rest, where it, everything's gone. That makes sense. Like maybe she's different in that way too. They need, yeah, and that they way need to write an origin story to this. It'd be so great. Yeah, I don't know. Maybe hey, Star Trek's still going on. We could see it. Yeah, or at least in a book form. I don't think a book has properly addressed it. Um, so one thing I want to point out for this movie: great music throughout. Yeah, beautiful. Jerry Goldsmith, score, Jerry Goldsmith, and his son because they shorted the shortened the production. Oh, so timeline to help out. His son had to write a lot of uh, like uh, intro, outro kind of stuff and transition music while he wrote the main themes. Um, but Jerry Goldsmith did Gremlins, Hoosiers, the first three Rambo's, Star Trek Five, Gremlins Two, Rudy, Congo, The Mummy. Like, oh, so he wrote. That's a Gremlins thing, right? <laughs> yeah, 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 it is. You wrote, you wrote the Gremlin rag. Joe Dante tells a story about going to his house. And him having a piano in his living room and playing him the the gremlin rag and Dante saying, Is this right? And he said, Of course this is right. It's Jerry Goldsmith. <laughs> Wait, who said that? Jerry uh, Goldsmith. Joe Dante. Who's he? Oh, okay. Someone else said, Is this right? Uh Joe Dante, the director of Gremlins. But then who said, Of course it's Jerry Goldsmith? Oh, that's Joe Dante. He said to himself. Oh, he asked himself if this is this right. Yeah, he responded to himself. Right. He heard it and said, "Is this right?" He said, "Yeah, it's Jerry Goldsmith." I just I don't want to take your antidote and like break it apart so it's no longer relevant anymore. That's right. And now the show's <laughs> stopped, so that's good too. <laughs> it was great music. It was. Yeah, great music, Dick. <laughs> <laughs> it was not my intention. Uh, so that's first contact. Great movie. Uh, kind of the biggest action. It, it was the highest grossing film until the 2009 one. Yeah, absolutely. Um, definitely has some, a little bit of trivia here. I went through the entire long trivia thing and just picked out a few that were actually, you know, interesting. They have some dumb shit on IMDb now for trivia. That's like stuff that no one cares about. Um, yeah. But in the early drafts, uh, we were talking about that. Picard was supposed to help Cochrane on earth. They switched it. Um, Good on them. Millennium Falcon. We talked about that. Uh, apparently Tom Hanks was considered for the role of Zephram Cochran originally because he's an avid Star Trek fan, but he couldn't take the role because he was overlapping with his that thing you do directing and starring schedule. Uh, um, that would have been cool, but he's a little, it would have been different, but it would have been cool. Um, let's see. Oh yeah. The, the Defiant It's funny, funny enough in D space nine, it was brought into the show as a ship, the Federation was building for the sole purpose of fighting the Borg. But hmm. this movie is the only time that ship ever fights the Borg. <laughs> At least well, on screen. finally got its comeuppance. <laughs> exactly. Um, whenever a scene features the Borg, speaking of music, uh, Goldsmith puts in a little twangs from V'ger, which also lends more of that V'ger origin thing because hmm. like, you hear the boong, 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 that kind of thing. Right. Um, and he did that score as well, apparently. Um, Avery Brooks. Oh, Avery Brooks was going. The uh, Benjamin Cisco, the captain from D Space Nine, was mm-hmm. uh going to have a scene where he told Worf to go command the USS Defiant, and they filmed it, but they didn't put it in the movie. Uh, yeah. So I've been like, leave D Space Nine, go fight. Um. Oh, and the cool thing I went down a rabbit hole with this was even though his name is never given in the film, the um 
the Vulcan who salutes Zephram Cochran and meets him for the first time, the first Vulcan. His name is uh, Solkar, and okay. he is the grandfather of Sarek, who is the father of Spock. So, so he's, he's the great grandfather of Spock. Exactly. So that's the, the person who first met the humans is the great grandfather of Spock, Solkar. And that's he's, crazy. he's in a few novels, apparently, too. He's pretty cool. And that would explain why their family was always at the forefront of human contact. Right. And that's why Sarek, just like his grandfather, Sokar, was also an ambassador and he wanted Spock to be an ambassador. And eventually Spock does become an ambassador later in his life. That's right. So there you go. Uh, but yeah, I love, love this film. Love it's, it to death. So good. So what's that take uh, us to now, sir? So, uh, so I've got a couple of short bits here. One I didn't tell you about because it's new and just a one-time thing also. Uh, is, is that is that Swedish? Which I also love that joke in First Contact. <laughs> the Borg. Borg? Is that Swedish? <laughs> Sounds uh, Swedish. <laughs> I don't have, I don't have music awesome. for that, though. No Swedish music. I know, I know you don't. I understand that. That's why I, I can't blame you. Uh, but I just found a few funny words in Swedish. Uh, a, my One of my friends who is also I play D&D with, he is Swedish. And he told me a few of these. Nice. Uh, so, uh, bra is not a brassiere. It means good. Bra. Uh, a kiss is like, it is urine. If you say the word kiss. Kiss. Huh. Not, not like peeing, but urine itself. Oh, interesting. A cock is a chef. <laughs> and uh, Muppet, fun Muppet reference, uh, the Swedish chef would be the Schwenskok. <laughs> Schwenskok. Schwenskok. There we go. <laughs> That's the music we need. <laughs> there we go. Bork, bork, bork. Okay. <laughs> Love it. Uh, and slut means to finish. <laughs> That's accurate in a lot of ways. That's right. Appropriate. Uh, so, yeah, that's just. Uh, uh, is that Swedish? <laughs> that's, uh, that's funny. Okay. Uh, so now I've, I'm bringing back a classic, something we haven't played in a long time. Oh. Uh, and that is Factoid Fumbles. Factoid Fumbles? That has music. Ooh, it does. I forgot how catchy this is. Yeah. Uh, uh, <laughs> so Factoid Fumbles is where I'm going to list some things, and Jarman has to tell me a fact about them. It doesn't have to be incredibly in-depth. It just has to be true or at least funny. I can work on that. So uh, in Star Trek First Contact, one of the first big breakthroughs and uh, uh, is when Counselor Troy gets drunk on something called tequila, right. and they figure out if they can trust Zephram Cochran or not with the secrets of the future. So I have a liquor factoid fumbles. Ooh, I like it. Where I'm going to name some liquors, and you have to tell me a fact about them. Go for it. Are you ready to play? Absolutely. All right. Vodka. Uh, originally it was used to reduce, uh, the itching and swelling that can happen under large Russian women's breasts in the severe cold. They put, they put this substance under their breasts. They realized when they drank it, it made them drunk. Wow. <laughs> That's crazy enough for me to think it might be true. I know. <laughs> All right. Uh, tequila. Tequila. Um, you know, originally it was used, uh, to drown the sorrows of, uh, Mexican people, but now they drink it to <laughs> celebrate that they're not Americans. <laughs> yeah, that's right. Every day you should celebrate that. 
Uh, whiskey. Whiskey. Will Wheaton. Whiskey. Uh, <laughs> whiskey, you know, it's got a long sorted history because uh, originally it was uh, formulated to get men drunk enough fast in the Old West so that they would uh, want to pay more for the prostitutes in the saloon. But That's then true. they started refining it because they realized it wasn't just a tool to use them to get drunk, but it's something that all Americans could enjoy. So uh, it's the version of something that are from Scotland that was real smoky, but they made it, you know, it's their own in Kentucky and stuff and made it more Americanized and we could all drink it together and also sleep with prostitutes in saloons. That's right. America. <laughs> America. All right. Uh, Brandy. Brandy. Uh Good singer ahead of her time. Um, <laughs> <laughs> I'll accept that. That's, That's correct. <laughs> uh, rum. Rum. Um, this was developed by scientists to find the quickest way <laughs> to get women drunk in college. <laughs> that is that is accurate. The way Man. it combines in a in a tube, a Jeffrey's tube, if you will, uh, to with sweet substances like uh, orange soda or um, pineapple juice. Pineapple or- juice. They found Cherry that juice or whatever. it immediately removed the panties of all women involved. <laughs> <laughs> it's terrible. Oh, man. Okay. Uh, absinthe. Absinthe. Is this the last one? No. I don't have much more in me. <laughs> that's, too, that's too bad. Uh, absinthe. Absinthe is for those who think. It doesn't have to be extensive. <laughs> no, for those who, this is true though. This is absolutely true. Uh, people okay. who think they're really hardcore and think that it makes them hallucinate, and it's completely all a placebo effect. Real absinthe yeah, has been in the United States said for uh, decades. Yeah, you could get it if you went to specific parts of the world, but you're not going to get it here at a liquor store. It's just basically really strong liquor moonshine. There's no hallucinogenic effects, and you're an idiot. That's right. Speaking of moonshine, my uncle Tim knows a guy who can get you moonshine. Nice. My uncle has for you in three flavors, regular, mint, and cinnamon. Huh. I'd like the mint. That'd be interesting. That's right. That's right. And that has been Factoid Fumbles Liquor Edition. Woo! (laughs) My brain hurts now. That's right. And that's going to move us on to a short, Would You Rather? Ooh! Would you rather... Would you rather? Uh, yeah. Uh, uh. <laughs> All right. Uh, okay. So I've got some good ones tonight. I really feel good about these. Oh, good. All right. Would you rather live in a lavish mansion? I uh, have everything provided for you you need, but you can never leave the grounds. Okay. Or live on a lavish yacht, also have everything you need provided. You can go anywhere in the world, but you can never, ever make land. Definitely have the lavish mansion. I'm gonna, I went lavish mansion, too. In the long term? I don't like leaving the house as it is. That's right. <laughs> well, be cool to see things. It'd be impossible to have people visit you, really. Right. And I'd be seasick all visit. the time and never comfortable. Yeah. Plus, like, when you get old and stuff and you're still in this predicament, you're not going to be on a boat. Hell no. Mansion <laughs> all the way. All right. So, would you rather every time you enter a crowded room, everyone look at you in disgust or look away in disgust? Hmm. I like attention too much, so I want them to look at me in disgust. Okay. I went with the, the look away in disgust because I'm not sure I could take those faces every time. 
<laughs> I think I'd make a game out of it. They all look at me in disgust and I dance around a little bit. <laughs> <laughs> hey, I like that. I don't care. <laughs> all right. Good, good, good answer. Um, okay. So would you rather have every song you hear magically transformed into acapella music for the rest of your life or every song you hear is transformed into an instrumental version for the rest of your life. I am going to use this as a trick, but for my own benefit, I want every song listened to to turn into acapella music. And by that, I mean sheet music so I can sell it. <laughs> what does that even mean? Because it's hard to make arrangements for acapella music. So if it transforms into acapella sheet music, I can make a profit off of it. Charmin, that is nothing. That is not my brain's answer. still working. <laughs> my brain's still working. <laughs> trying, I'm trying too hard here. <laughs> uh, I'm going to go with acapella music, and the reason is that uh, a lot of music is like attachment to the words and the lyrics, and that's like a lot of the emotional attachment I have. And knowing that I would never be able to know the lyrics to a song again—that's very true. I'm not sure I could do that. Yeah, I could see that. Although some songs can be made better by not hearing But German wants magical sheet music that wasn't a part of this exercise. You so. didn't say it wasn't. <laughs> I'm saying it right now. It <laughs> is late. not part of Too this late. exercise. <laughs> uh, well, I think that that takes us on to some trailer reviews. Here at A Play On Nerds, we have spent years refining our exclusive trailer rating system. At the low end of the scale, we have Don't Waste a Match. This movie is so bad that I wouldn't waste a single match to burn it. Fahrenheit 451 style. Can we go back to burn it? bottom, we have Will <laughs> yes. Maybe the trailer was too Killer. short. Maybe it was cut oddly. Or maybe we don't know Deal. what the hell we just watched. Eh, we'll see. Up next, we have Give It a Buck. Whether you hit a red box, a dollar movie theater in the bad part of town, or a cheap online rental, give this movie a buck and enjoy it without breaking the bank. And at the top of our rating system, we have Shut Up and Take My Money. The wallets have been charmed out of our pockets, and we are ready to make our hard-earned cash disappear. And that's our patent-pending trailer rating system for A Play on Nerds. Hey, you were the one who came up with Don't Waste a Match. Yeah, that's right. It's just too wordy. And I just don't want to, I want to say burn it most of the time. Yeah, go for it. Let's bring burn yeah. it back. I'm doing it. Bam. So you can re-record uh, the, uh, that whole segment and edit it yourself. <laughs> okay. Just get the old one. Oh, yeah. oh God, that one's even longer. It has like 14 different ratings. <laughs> burn it with barrel fire. Burn it with fire. No, just grab, grab that little sound cue, throw it in, and we'll be done. I will try that. <laughs> don't do it for this one it's not worth no, no, it no it's not i'm not gonna yeah, un- unofficially burn its back people right we got it <laughs> so what's right. our first movie we got so uh i'm gonna say summer of 84 all right let's hear it which that's right the shortened version and there's a lot of just ominous music Be this exciting. Incoming titties. 12 o'clock. Incoming titties. Scientifically the perfect woman. Huh. Better view of my room than I thought. Silly dreams. Emergency meeting. Treehouse. Now. Mackie is the 
fine. Now go. You're gonna get caught either by Mackie or your dad. I know I'm right about him. That doesn't prove anything. Are you with me? I don't want anything bad to happen to you. We're trying to save people. Yeah, well, you're not. Guys in the station are gonna love this. <laughs> Just let it go. Sorry again that you're uh, grounded. Let's see if I can get you out of this house. No hard feelings. All right, so what did we just listen to? So it looks like a kind of like friends coming of age. It looks like it's kind of riding the the Stranger Things vibe. Oh, so much. <clears throat> a little bit. Uh, yeah, going to play a little bit on the nostalgia strings. Uh, it's about a, a local community, uh, some sort of mass murderer, and some kids that suspect a local cop. It, it looks dark. It looks good, but it looks like it's going to be exactly what I expect. Right. And my thing is, I'm upset because it's just so blatantly trying to ride the coattails of Stranger Things and it coming out recently, which was instead of set in the 60s like the book was, it's set in the 80s. So it has 80s pubescent boys, just like Stranger Things does with and this synthesizer music in your face. Like, look how 80s we are. And the problem is, is that Stranger Things and it both find reasons to put them in the 80s. Like, um, right things about the story that makes it make more sense in that time period. <clears throat> Therefore, a reason this seems like there's no reason this is in the eighties just because they're just trying to make money and they, they're trying to ride this yeah. wave of nostalgia. So I don't know. I'm just, I'm just like kind of pissed at the movie on concept. I mean, I'll give it a, give it a buck. Um, my hope is that because they showed so much in the trailers that there's something we, that they haven't shown us. Right. But that's just a, that's a hope. It's like these kids trying to solve a murder mystery in their neighborhood, kids going missing. But uh, uh, yeah, I'll say we'll see because if it's not critically panned when it comes out, then I'll maybe give it a buck. Okay, fair. But watch the trailer, so, folks. It's interesting. So what is our second trailer, Jeremy? Second one is Creed 2. You got this. You hear me? In the ring, you got rules. Outside, and nothing. Life hits you with all these cheap shots. People like me, we live in the past. You got people that need you now. You got everything to lose. This guy's got nothing to lose. I ain't got a choice. That's the same thing your father said, and he died right here in my hands. Listen to me, this guy is dangerous. But you don't think I could beat him? You don't think you got your validation? I want to rewrite history. Don't pretend this is about your father. It may not seem like it now, but this is more than just a fight. You can tell that was very cut by me. Because <laughs> there was just um, a lot of music montages in that trailer, so I cut them out just for the, the dialogue purposes. So, uh, uh, honestly, my first reaction to this trailer when I watched it uh, was it looked really typical and I was like I saw all this in the last movie oh I gotta live up to my review and then and they started talking about like him wanting to rewrite history and I was like okay what angle are they gonna play and then I think this trailer did a brilliant job of hooking you in and giving that short show that it's Drago's kid yep 
I, I have the same exact notes. It's so funny. I said I was kind of uh, meh uh, on this trailer until the reveal at the end. <laughs> yeah, but then the best part was is like they they played me. Like the people that made that trailer played me. They're like, yeah, we're going to give them exactly what they think they're expecting and then slap them in the face. <laughs> Ivan Drago's son. I will yeah, and they you. Didn't, and they didn't even show him. Like, uh, I thought they did a great job. Yeah, they just flash his face barely, I think, but then show his uh, robe and it says Drago on it. So he's going to fight the son of the man who killed his father. That's great. Right. It's just crazy. I'm, um, I saw the last one. It was pretty good. Uh. I'm, you know, I think this one will be good. Uh, you know, the fourth Rocky is by far the best. At least from our standards, any was, part of that. It was our nostalgia factor. I think most people would say the first Rocky is the best, but I think both you and I really love the fourth one. Most people aren't us, Jeremy. <laughs> right. <laughs> fourth one's just uh, so fun. But yeah, so I think this is going to be more of the same. If they can capture any or any of that feeling, I think they'll really hit it out of the park. So is that a... Shut up and take I'm not going to go. Through. This isn't the kind of movie I go see in a theater, but this definitely will get a buck out of me. That's what I put to give it a buck. This be really fun to watch at home at some point. But yeah, yeah, I don't to, get to go see that many movies, so this one just wouldn't quite make that cut. Right. But I tell people to watch this trailer just so they can see that awesome ending. We spoiled for you. Sorry. <laughs> That's okay. So uh, now we have some trailer reviews. Radical recommends. Radical recommends. If you have the means, I highly recommend picking one up. What do you recommend I do? I recommend Pleasant. What is that last thing from? I recommend Pleasant. I recommend Pleasant. It's from Harvey. Oh. <laughs> okay, very nice. Harvey was the first um, play that Stephen and I were together in high school, so it's got nostalgic. And it's Jimmy Stewart from the movie version. Yeah, so fun story. Uh, our crazy theater director decided that he was going to do the show and he picked it because he thought that this one kid was going to be in it. And this one kid said, no, nah, I'm not doing that. <laughs> so suddenly he didn't have a lead for the show that he had chosen for his fall show because he had hinged it on this one kid. Um, <laughs> and so he literally was like, ask your friends, get people in here. <laughs> and so I brought German in and he auditioned and went up against four or five other people and made it. That was his first show. And then I used that experience for my college essay to get into college. I got into college with that essay, hopefully partially. And I've been acting ever since now doing voice acting and all because of that experience of Steven saying, That's right. Hey, come audition for this play. That's right. You dropped out of band and that was the best thing you could have done. Oh, so good. Band was terrible. I feel like the, well, that was, <laughs> I think the first step on your road to dropping out of band. Oh yeah. Cause I was still in chorus, <laughs> but band was just nightmare. Yeah, you joined chorus, I think junior year, maybe. Right. With you. Yeah, and all those chicks. <laughs> True that. Dude, that's the secret. Nobody thinks about it, but the performing arts is like a four to one girl to guy ratio. Yeah, and all the guys are mostly gay. So it's like if you are a straight male in the performing arts, it's uh you gotta be a pretty terrible person to not, not to get yeah, yeah, a few yeah. dates. It's amazing. <laughs> that's the secret, kids. Don't be terrible. Um, that's right. Um, so what do you recommend, Steve? <laughs> so my radical recommend this week. Uh, is related to what we just reviewed. Uh, and that's, uh, I, so I got first contact and I was, I, I watch a lot of movies with the director's commentaries. I, uh, I really that. enjoy it. Uh, and I've watched a ton of my favorite movies with director's commentaries. And sometimes they're good, sometimes they're bad, but they're always informative. And um, 
And I have to say, the director's commentary for First Contact with Jonathan Frakes is the most enjoyable and just smile-inducing director's commentary watch-through I have ever enjoyed for a film. That's awesome. It is clear that he loves the crap out of this thing he made. <laughs> and and his he, he throws in witty little banter and has little stories that like are super interesting. And then he throws like, and that's what you get on the DVD commentary. <laughs> <laughs> Damn. I wish I like had Pat, that. Like Patrick Stewart used to write obituaries. Huh? And Michael Dorn always threatened to crack a raw egg on Patrick Stewart's head. <laughs> it was like a, a running threat between the two of them. And they know each other so well, even all after all these years, so they go to so many conventions together. So they like, they are still really good friends. Yeah. The whole cast. And I met him in person um, once at Dragon Con, and, and he's the same way you're describing in that commentary. Just so friendly and happy and smiley and silly. Like, he's just this giant dude. He's like six foot four or something. But uh, he's great. Yeah, he obviously just loves this thing and has so many great things to say. So my radical recommend is, if you can, check out the director's commentary for First Contact, because it was super enjoyable. And I will just give super a caveat on this, because I have the DVD box set uh, that was probably the most recent one of all the original series movies in one box set and all the next generation in one box set. And with this re-release, they have a different commentary on first contact and it sucks. It's um, Alex Kurtzman who's, who's fine. And uh, this other guy, I don't even know who he is. He's not really a star Trek person uh, doing the commentary in the movie. And like, they're not, they weren't even involved in the creation of this film. Why are they on this commentary? And they took away the old one, the Riker commentary. So I was really pissed because yeah. I heard you say this. I'm like, no, I want that commentary. <laughs> uh, yeah, I got it through iTunes. And so because of that, it comes with all the extras. Oh, that's great. I'm going to do that. Yeah. Um, but yeah, highly recommend director's commentary first contact. That's great. Uh, my recommend is a show called the expanse. Uh, have you already watched this, Steve? No, but people talk about it. I know that's the thing. People have talked about this show to me for a long time. Oh, you love the expanse. You love the expanse. Some people even saying it's a game of Thrones in space, which now that I'm watching it, I can kind of see the similarities there because it's a lot of drama, a lot of great action. Um, incest. Luckily no incest, uh, great production values. Like, um, Thomas Jane is one of the main stars that you'd recognize. Um, yeah, I love Thomas Jane. Yeah. He's played a lot of roles, but you know, he did play Punisher before, um, he played, um, he's in the mist, Stephen King's the mist, uh, but lots of other things. Uh, a lot of the actors I didn't recognize, but it doesn't matter because it's just really well acted and huge production value is on the sci-fi channel. And the basic premise real quickly is just that um, it's in a few hundred years in the future. Um, Earth has expanded. Humanity's expanded onto different planets in our solar system. Um, and to do so, they need to mine all the asteroids and things like that around. So what developed is they have a terraforming huge colony on Mars has grown to be billions of people. Um, and then, Outside of that, they have uh, millions, if not a, a couple billion people just in the belt. They call them belters who are mining mm-hmm. all this stuff. And they're basically the workhorses of the, of the solar system. So eventually the belters get pissed off because they have the least amount of food supplies. Their work conditions are terrible. Uh, they're const- so they're constantly protesting and trying to get better rights. Mars becomes very militaristic because they're farther out there. They have to protect themselves. But they also have a- enough supplies to you know be like pretty middle class. But Earth is like lavishly living. They have all these resources, they have all this renewable energy. So everyone's pissed at earth for kind of hoarding all that. So Mm -hmm. basically 
the, starts the show, the some fourth mysterious party seems to be trying to trick all these groups to fight each other and go to war, which would be devastating at this scale. Um, so your main characters are involved in different aspects of that and this espionage and different you know, leaders and groups. That's why it kind of feels like Game of Thrones, but uh, it's it's yeah. really good. <laughs> so yeah, The Expanse, it's on. So it wasn't sci-fi for three seasons, then was canceled, but now Amazon just picked it up for uh, the new season. So it's not canceled anymore. It's going to be on Amazon, uh, which means they can probably curse more, have nudity, do whatever they want because it's on Amazon. So. And probably have a little bit more freedom. Yeah, it's absolutely. More freedom with uh, just plot lines and everything. So yeah. Well, good. I'm glad that a good, what sounds like a good sci-fi show is getting continue its run. I know. I love these streaming things for doing that recently. I wish Dark Matter had the same fate, but it did not. Um, huh. But yeah. So that leads us to a uh, thank you section. Thank you section. Thank, thank you for being a friend. Travel down the road and back again. Right. Mm. <laughs> so this week, my thanks is to my buddy, my old roommate, uh, Josh White, who I always forget is still listening to the podcast. It's so great whenever he sends me a random text, I'll be like, oh, I like the last episode. This and this will comment on something I'm like he still listens. That's great. Uh, but <laughs> thanks, Josh, for sending a text. He said he loved the last live recorded episode. Um, he's the one who told me he couldn't figure out what that line was either in the beginning of our intro. Yeah. <laughs> now, and, you know, too. Exactly. But he also said he started watching Toast of London, which is that show I recommended last time, and he likes it a lot. So our recommends are getting out there, which is great. That's right. We have followers. We do. Somewhat. They're out there. Well, thanks. That wraps us up, I think, for another episode. We're coming up to 100. Next one's 98. So we only have a few to go. We got to figure this out, John. I know. What's 100 going to be? I don't know, folks. It's going to be awesome. I don't know. Maybe maybe it'll be something dumb. We'll see. (laughs) Probably. We'll just see. Uh, but uh, we'll keep on being your guys' nerdy code hosts. If you keep being our nerdy audience, thanks again, Internet. Stay nerdy, my friends. All right, well timed. All right. <laughs> thanks for listening to A Play on Nerds. Find all of this content and even more nerdy news, reviews, and fun at com. And they, they can sure still hear us. us on Facebook and follow us on I know. Twitter <laughs> so you know the exact second we release new podcasts, articles, and other nerdy content. We know you're impatient. Subscribe to us on iTunes, Podbean, Buzzsprout, Podomatic, and whatever the hell else you use. Also, please leave us a rating and review on your chosen podcast platform so we can be discovered by even more nerds like yourself. However you do it, please do check that. us out. And how. Please. Please. And how. <laughs> <laughs> and how. What does it even mean? Bye, folks. <laughs>